The presenting sponsor of Sober Stories is Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits. That's Liars is an L-Y-R-E, but it's also not to liars, like the dirty kind, because they have an affinity for wordplay that makes my copywriter heart sing. Liars was created by a couple Brits on a quest to replicate and replicate well as many different alcoholic spirits as possible, allowing us to drink our way. And y'all know me, my way is without a drop of ethanol. Their name actually gives a nod to the Australian lyrebird, which can mimic just about any sound. I've used liars in my mocktail making for truly years now. I think my first introduction was probably the orange sec, which took my N.A. margarita game from sad and depressing to good enough to make my normie partner say, uh, there's no way this isn't the real thing. <laughs> Except now, my margarita doesn't ruin my life and throw my mental health in the garbage. Grab the margarita set for two different kinds of tequila alternatives and that orange sec I was talking about. Classico is my new favorite, though. I packed a cooler of them last year for the lake and the river and the beach and the pool. <laughs> Their pre-mixed ready-to-drink canned beverages are a great solution for those moments when you want something refreshing and celebratory in your hand, but you don't want the consequences of booze. You'll probably want to go ahead and hit add to cart to the Classico case and get that free shipping. As you're building out your non-alcoholic bar cart this spring, head over to liars.com, use code SOBERSTORIES1010, that's S-O-B-E-R-S-T-O-R-I-E-S, the number one, the number zero, the letter T, the letter E, and the letter N for 10% off your purchase. We'll pop that in the show notes too. Liars gives you the freedom to drink your way, to not just provide an alternative to those who don't wish to imbibe alcohol, but to ensure that everyone can enjoy the mirth and the merriment of a soiree or shindig. God, their copywriter's good. Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the sober spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be Chief Story Steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? Hey, Zobra Stories crew. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Before we dive in, I have a favor to ask you. Could you take a minute, hit pause and go rate and review and subscribe wherever you are listening to your podcasts? This is the simplest, easiest way for you to support the storytelling that we are doing here to make us more discoverable, to increase our visibility, yada, 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 all the like SEO metric stuff, but it really does matter. And we want to get these stories to as many people as meet them, which we know is a lot. I'm really excited to have this conversation today with my friend Blair Sharp of a sobriety activist on Instagram. Blair is a wife and a mom who lives in Minnesota working as a psychometrist, which I learned <laughs> what that is for the first time, and also a freelance writer. Blair has been published in publications like Scary Mommy and has written for both local and national publications about her experience in sobriety from alcohol. Blair and I had a really interesting conversation. And I think the angle that is most interesting to me from this talk that I had with Blair is Blair was not a daily drinker before she quit drinking. She was not somebody who struggled stringing together days at a time of sobriety. She would go, you know, three or four days and then drink and then be on this hamster wheel. And I think that's a really important story to tell because we can still be able to not drink day to day, but have this substance impacting us the way it does as Blair shares in her story. So I really appreciate the perspective she brings to that. And I know that there's somebody who needs to hear it. All right, let's get into it. 
All right, my friends, I have a very exciting guest today, a personal friend of mine. I am very excited to welcome Blair Sharp to Sober Stories. Thanks for joining us, Blair. Yeah, thanks for having me. For those who don't know you, for those who aren't familiar with sobriety activists, give us the rundown of you, who you are, where you are, what you do, who you do life <laughs> with, all of the kind of high notes, and then we'll get into the storytelling in a minute. Sure. Um, yeah, so my name is Blair, and um, I live in Minnesota. I've been uh, born and raised in Minnesota, and I um, am a wife almost seven years with my husband, married anyways. Um, I think we've been together for maybe like 11 or 12, I don't know at this point, but um, mm. a long time. Yeah. Isn't it funny that, <laughs> yeah, that we counted it that it's like, yeah, we've been married for like eight years, but like I grew up with this person. Yeah, right. You've <laughs> known him for that long. Yeah. So we have one son. His name is Caius and he will be six in a few months um, and he'll be going to kindergarten this fall. So um, we're kind of busy with him. He keeps us busy. Um, and I work full time uh, right now as a psychometrist. And I'll explain that a little bit because no one ever knows what that means. <laughs> um, basically, I just I test people's thinking. So um, I get I have mm. a patient, and then I um, give them memory and attention ta- uh, tests from two to four hours. Mm-hmm. So I just sit across the table from them and, and ask them questions, have them remember things, do things like that. So um, I've been doing that for eight years. I uh, work at the Mayo Clinic here in Rochester, Minnesota, and uh, oh okay. yeah. I don't think I need no, that. Yeah. And then um, I do a little bit of writing on the side. And of course, I um, post on Instagram and share my story and things like that. Um, and my handle is uh, sobriety activist. And I've been doing that since mm. almost a year and a half only. So not very long. Yeah. yeah. A while yeah. now. Well, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't think I it's that like, long. I feel like I've known you. <laughs> it seems like a long time, but like how much it's grown in that short amount of time is, is like, um, I still don't understand it. <laughs> Well, I was just about to say, you do just a little bit of writing. I feel like I've read some really, yeah. really impactful pieces of yours you. in a lot of different publications. So congratulations yeah, for that. And, you know, I think you and I have a similar ethos in the respect for storytelling mm-hmm. and the power of telling our stories and what that does for other people Yes, and the doors that it opens for other people when they read a story of yours in Medium or wherever you have your stories mm-hmm. published and they see themselves for the first time. And they say, wow, I didn't know there was anybody out there doing it like I do. So tell us your story. What is the story of Blair? How did you get to where you are right now? Yeah. So, um, and I agree before I lose track of that thought, I totally Mm -hmm. agree with what you just said. And and I think a big thing of it, uh, a big reason is because that's how I got to the place that I am now with being alcohol free is that I read someone's story. I heard them tell their story, you know, on a podcast. And I, I felt like, oh my gosh, they're telling my story too. So that's Mm. exactly the reason why I write about it and talk about it and do interviews and things like this, just to, to keep, keep that, that moving and try to kind of end that stigma, um, of, you know, alcohol and our lives. So, um, who, who was it and what podcast was it? It was, her name is Katie Bickle and she's a writer. She's, um, mostly okay. nonfiction or no, sorry, fiction, mm. fiction writer. Um, she's from Canada and I just had seen a, or read a blog that she wrote for scary mommy, um, mm. the website, the publication. And so, um, that's kind of my, that's, that's the end of my, my story. So I'll, I'll start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the beginning for me, um, I guess like, I was thinking about kind of how to start this today. And I usually start, you know, when I started drinking was, you know, being like 16, 17 in high school, just 
you know, kind of inquisitive about uh, alcohol, like a lot of people are and just trying it with people because their friends do it and trying to fit in. But I, I do remember alcohol being in my life, like when I was younger, maybe elementary age. Um, and I'm hmm. um, not as far, uh, not, I wasn't drinking at that point, but um, yeah, I remember like my dad drinking and we would go fishing um, and with his friends, he'd, you know, be out drinking and so I remember being in like bars and things like, and you know, bar and grills, restaurants and stuff like that yeah. um, when I was much younger. Um, but I never really, I mean, I don't know how I thought about it back then because I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But like right now, I don't have any like ill feelings about like alcohol as a very young child. Even in like high school, I don't have um, any like memory of it being like a super negative like point of our mm-hmm. family, even though my dad did have a problem mm-hmm. with it, similar to the one that mm-hmm. I did. Um, I, it still wasn't a huge thing for our family, I guess. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I started (laughs) drinking when I was like 16 or 17 in high school. Even then I had moments of like too much, you know, um, Mm -hmm. where I would just drink way too much, um, get really sick. Um, but it, I think I felt like it was just what you did, you know, like other people were getting sick too. Nobody really knows how to drink when you're 16 Mm. you know you don't know like how to mix drinks or what like at one point I remember Mm -hmm. mixing like tequila with like Gatorade which is something you would never do obviously (laughs) right I like that did not having like (laughs) yeah I'm having flashbacks of a house party I went to in college where we literally we called it jungle juice and Uh it was in a trash can and it was bright red and I got it all over a perfectly white pea coat <gasps> but like yeah we used to drink that stuff. yeah Ugh. and so it was like whatever you could get your hands on you know mm-hmm. um so yeah lots of just like um learning I guess about alcohol mm-hmm. and then you know I played basketball so it was pretty easy to get caught drinking in high school where I grew up um which I did one time at least once that I can remember um but mm-hmm. I didn't drink a ton in high school I wouldn't say I was like part of like the partying crowd Um, that more happened when I got to college and uh, you know, my first time being away from home, we're 18, we find somebody who can buy us booze. And I was around all the people, like all the people that I met, we lived in like this apartment building um, that was only for the college students. It was a community college, but it was still like only college students in this like apartment building. And so everybody that I met right there, that's what we were all ready to do. You know, we were all ready to hit it hard and we did. And just your typical like college binge drinking parties, any night of the week, any day, you know, not really going Mm -hmm. to class that much, like just trying to get by, like dropping classes if I had to, (laughs) things like that, you know, like just having fun. And um, of course, like negative consequences then too. um, But it wasn't anything that I felt like was out of the ordinary for my age, yeah. you know, between 18 and like maybe 20, 21 even. And I was, we didn't, you know, go to a lot of bars. I, I think I got a fake ID when I was like 20, right before I turned 21, I went to a university and somebody got me a fake ID and I'm, I'm like six one. And the, the girl's <laughs> ID that was, it was like, she was like five, four or something. Oh. Like, um, but it worked, right? That's <laughs> so funny because I have not thought about my fake ID that I yeah. definitely had. I have probably like I I that. It. I totally, yeah, I know. I wish I still had it, but like that is like so far out of my memory and yeah. I hadn't thought of it until you just said it then. And mine was 
so bad. It was like <laughs> it was like on one of those fake cards, like the oh. like like the kind of card that you use at like the arcade. Like oh that my is gosh. definitely not the same kind of card yes. as a driver's license. Mine was and, like yeah. someone's ID that like they just didn't need anymore uh, or something. So like somebody gave it to me, like here, let's yeah. use this to get it. And it was like yeah. a college drinking town, so it, they didn't care. Yeah, right. But yeah, so I turned twenty one and. um hit up the bars just as hard as I would hit up, you know, house parties and things like that. It was just like party life. Like hmm. that was number one. And I would have these jobs. I was still in, in college. Um, it took me six years to get a bachelor's degree. And so throughout mm-hmm. that time, it was just like partying um, was at the top, like having fun was at like the top of my list. It wasn't school. Hmm. It wasn't like how I can like, I wasn't looking to the future, like what career I was going to have or yeah. Or, you know, no relationships were serious. Um, it was just about having fun. And I and I had found my group of friends. Many of them I still have today. Like my group of my my close group of friends is a lot of the people that I met when I was 18, that first mm-hmm. college, you know, that I went to. So, anyways, yeah, lots of um, again, negative consequences, blacking out all the time. Um, but back then it was funny. It was like funny in yeah. college. It was, it was uh, how do we get home? You know, mm. like, what did we eat when we got home? Oh, we went through the drive through mm-hmm. Who drove? Oh, you drove? You don't remember driving? Yeah. Like, just scary stuff now if you think about it. But um, that was normal for us. And I thought that was normal because that's all I ever knew mm. when it came to partying and drinking. Like, I thought that everybody did that. And I thought it was weird if people didn't do that, you know. Right. And so um, when I was 25. I had just met my husband maybe like six months before. And I got a DUI on a Tuesday evening. Mm. <laughs> and um leaving the bar. My friend was driving and he was like, Oh, I'm really drunk. I can't drive. And I was like, I'll drive. Hmm. And I I made it not even probably a minute. I mean, they had to have been watching me. So I, I, I went to jail for two nights Hmm. for that because I blew so high and I had to wait for court. So I went to jail and that was, that was a really bad experience. I mean, I was like in handcuffs, in a jumpsuit, in a courtroom, attached to somebody else. Like, here's my dad sitting in the courtroom. Like this wasn't just like you get a DUI and you get someone comes and picks you up. Like I was in jail, you know, Mm. for two nights. Like I kind of just kept to myself, but it was in the moment. It was really bad. I got out and then it was funny. You know, Mm. it was like, guess how high I blew. Oh, you got one too. Like it was just a joke, you know? And a lot of the things that happened to me that were really bad, like even up until I quit drinking, it was like, it was really bad in the moment. And it was kind of like, just get through it, get through the mm. moment. And then afterwards, kind of like even forget that it happened. Mm-hmm. Like, even if these moments where I'm like, um, married and you know, we have a fight and like, I just have to deal with it the next morning. And then I can kind of like forget that it even happened. Yeah. And that's kind of what kept me going with drinking. And like, even though I was having these ne- negative consequences, I was still, still drinking. Like, I didn't think like, mm. I didn't care to, to stop drinking, you know, that was never like on my radar that I didn't want to, like, I wasn't like Mm. wondering what the problem was. Like clearly the problem was alcohol, but like, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned about it. I was just like, this is how I drink and this is what's going to happen. And so ER visits, you know, hospital visits, things like that, falling a lot, just fighting with whoever, my husband, just doing dumb stuff. Right. And then, um, my husband does not drink, which is another Mm. layer he doesn't, Did he ever drink? Uh, no, he got really mm. sick when he was really young, um, maybe like 18 or something, and then mm. um, just hasn't really drank since. So he doesn't drink at all. Mm. But he always thought that my drinking was, well, he knew my drinking was a little bit 
little much, but he knew like this partying life was kind of normal because a lot of his friends were in that same kind of like life and his friends were always partying too. And so he was always in around that life. Hmm. So he thought everything I was doing wasn't like that bad. And he really didn't, he really didn't, um, he would make little rules, but he wouldn't like totally say like, you need to stop drinking. Or, you know, he would say, like, maybe say, like, you need to, like, not drink as much. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd do it again. Like, you know, it wasn't, yeah. Aye, aye, Captain. <laughs> right. Like, if I don't drink a lot, like, what's the point of even drinking? You know, that's yeah. like my brain. My brain is like, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't, I've never been a person who's like, yeah, I would just love to have, like, this glass of red wine with my pasta. Like, no, <laughs> I want the bottle of wine. And then where are we going next? And, like, or maybe I'm not even eating because I want to yeah. get super drunk. And it was always about drinking and getting drunk and, like, that's just the way my brain works. And um, I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know. I thought that, I, I guess I knew that that's how I was. And I didn't know that that was the difference between my brain and maybe somebody else's mm. brain who looks at alcohol and, and has a drink and says, oh yeah, that's that's great, whatever, you know? Yeah. Or mine's like, ooh, I want this to keep going until I go to mm-hmm. sleep, you know? Yeah. I don't think it was ever about like emotions or like feeling down about myself. I, I could see maybe mm-hmm. something being like a little bit of like social anxiety or a little social being uncomfortable and like using that as kind of like a lubricant to like let loose. Because mm-hmm. um, even now, like as a non-drinker, like I'm not going to be out on the dance floor, like at a wedding, yeah. like that's just not my thing. <laughs> and so like I could tell, I, but, but a drinking Blair will be out there, you know, she's mm-hmm. out there leading the dances and stuff. So it's like totally night and day from what mm-hmm. I was to what I am now. So yeah, when I had my son, um, I was 30 and quit drinking right away when I, you know, found out I was pregnant, no problems with that. Um, I don't even feel like I thought about it much. I didn't, Cause I just knew that I, I couldn't drink. So it wasn't like, yeah. I don't even feel like I missed it. Like I didn't even think about yeah. it really, which is very interesting. Like I, maybe subconsciously it was kind of like, oh nice, this is a break. I don't have to yeah. go through all that, you know? And mm-hmm. so um, after I had him and you know, you're a mom, so you understand, but like there's this, this role um, you're, you're a mom now. And like, we don't know how to be a mom. You don't know what, yeah. you don't know how to do it, right? <laughs> like as much as into you can it. prepare, yeah, as much as you can prepare for like being a parent, you just, you just don't know until you get there. And I think I had a hard time with the, like what I used to, who I used to be and like, okay, now I'm this mom. Can I still be this old person? Can I still be this mm. really fun party person and be a mom? And like how to kind of maneuver those like lifestyles together, I guess, yeah. kind of like mold them together. And you know, I tried for a little bit. I remember going out for the first time and I had a few drinks and I came home and I was like, oh, mm. oh I had like bloody and I had beer, you know, and then I was like, I have to get home. And I went home and I was like, oh, I've never done that before. Like, <laughs> this is new for me. And I did it a few times, you know, but then a, a lot of the time after I had him, it was more drinking at home by myself. Mm. My husband would go out with friends, hang out, whatever. I'd be home with the baby and I would be, you know, I deserve it. I deserve to have Mm -hmm. a drink now because I've been with the baby and he's asleep. And Mm -hmm. so now I can have a few drinks and I, I think it would pretend to have a few drinks, but like, it was never just a few drinks. Like, I think it was a lot more like in a shorter period of time too. Like, Mm -hmm. cause if you're just sitting at home, you're kind of just unconsciously another drink, another drink, another drink. And it was, yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of how it was after I had him. So Mm -hmm. nothing super, well, I mean, I was nothing super really, really bad happened after I had him. I I lost my purse, you know, that was also like not a, (laughs) not a uncommon to lose my purse and lose phones Mm -hmm. and like whatever. You have to to get your license again. Yeah. Like 
cancel your credit card and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that might've happened like after I had him, but it wasn't, um, I wasn't like going to the ER or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like after I had him, um, but just like little arguments and, and things like that. And I would try to kind of play it off. Like it wasn't that bad. And by then again, my husband was making these kind of rules. Like if you're going to go to somebody's house, stay over there. Or I don't want you home mm-hmm. at two o'clock in the morning to talk to me. Or he would say like, I don't want to be around you if you're drinking, like if, mm. if you're drinking, like you can go with friends, but I'm not going to go or something like that. And like, that even wasn't, that wasn't like a red flag to me to be like, Oh man, mm. my husband doesn't want to be around me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I just was like, okay, yeah. Okay. Bye. Like I'm going to go drink now and hang out with my friends. Yeah. But there was one night that I was home by myself with my, well, I was with my son who was 18 months at the time. And my husband was out with friends and I had been drinking and I tripped over the baby gate and fell and broke a wine mm. glass, shattered the wine glass, red wine everywhere. And I was cleaning it up. And my husband came home while I was, you know, cuts all over my hands, small cuts, like mm. cleaning the wine glass. And another night where like that could have happened any night, like that's, you know, I broke things before. It wasn't like anything mm-hmm. super out of the ordinary, but that next morning I woke up and I was bruised and also not uncommon, right. To be bruised mm. and not know where you get the bruises and things like that. But he told, my husband told me, you know, you can't drink anymore with our son in the house when it's just mm. you two. And I mm. think the more I think about it now, I was just thinking about this. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but I think that was like the final, like him saying that to me was like, wow, like it's affecting my son. It was mm. almost like it wasn't even enough to affect my husband. Like I really didn't care, yeah. but it was right. my son. You know, you have a different bond, especially mm. moms with their little boys, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was the the kicker, I guess. Mm. But, you know, I didn't, I was hungover for... Uh, a couple days because that's how it was at the time. I was kind of like a mm. weekend drinker and then I would be hungover. Like I would have like a Friday night drinker and then it would be mm. two days of hangover, maybe a little bit of uh, emotional hangover on Monday, you know, like still yeah. like, why can't I drink? Why can't I just have a couple drinks or drink mm. and be okay or stop it? Like, could I just stop at like one bottle of wine? Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, so it was the same, same story again. And that Monday at work, I was sitting at my office and I read a blog on scary mommy about a mom who Mm -hmm. doesn't drink. And it was like a, it was a story about something that she had dealt with. And, um, I looked her up and I, I can't remember the name of the podcast. Tammy Salas. Do you know who she had a podcast? Unruffled. Unruffled. I think that's, I think that's where I, I heard Katie Bickle speak about her story and things like that. So she told her story and I was like, Oh my gosh, same kind of thing. Like, you know, didn't drink every day, um, didn't lose her job, things like that. And it wasn't like this, you know, you, you hear the story of like somebody who has to go to rehab and they yeah. um, lose their career and they end up homeless and they're on the street mm. and like all these things. And that just wasn't my story. And so once I heard her say that, I was like, wow, that is my story. Like you're telling my story. You have quit drinking. Mm. Alcohol was the problem. You removed it. And now you're living like this amazing life. So I end up messaging her on mm. Facebook. <laughs> I like typed her name into Facebook, messaged her, wrote her this long, I mean, I think it's like 900 words. I still have it. I'm going to publish it at some point, I think. <laughs> but yeah, like this really long cry for help, basically. And she wrote back and she wrote back mm. within you know minutes and was like, well, you don't have to drink anymore. And no one had ever said yeah. that. I'd never even thought of that. Right. Mm. I never even thought like that it was an option Mm. to just not drink anymore. 
it seems so simple, right? And so simple yeah. now, even like here four years out. Hmm. But like, yeah, that was it. Like th- that was like her t- like telling me that it was okay to just not drink anymore. Like you don't have to keep trying to manage it because you know you can't. And, you know, I had enough proof. I had enough proof of like how yeah. I drank every single time. It was the same thing. It wasn't like, oh, maybe this time it would be better. No, it was like too much blacking out regret yeah. every it was like this cycle for for, you know, my son was 18 months old. So probably the worst of it was what after I had him. But yeah, so Mm. she gave me resources, you know, much like I do today, like podcasts and books. And I read This Naked Mind right away. That was the first book that I read and it changed my life. And Mm -hmm. I haven't drank since. That was the last time I drank that night that I spilled Mm. the wine. And yeah, here we are. What's your what's your alcohol-free date? Do you count? I have an app on my phone. I look at it just for fun every once in a while. But um, February 26, 2018. So I, um, I don't go by the last day I drink because I didn't think even that I would quit. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think about it the next day. It was like two days later that I thought about it. So I go by that day, mm-hmm. the day that I decided. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting because I'm trying to think, I don't know that we've had anybody on the podcast yet who yeah. wasn't a daily drinker right, and then decided to quit. And I think that that's a really interesting perspective of like, you are not necessarily physically right addicted to the substance. You're not physically dependent on this substance. But in our brains, we want to continue to make this work. Right. We want to continue to make a substance work because we're socialized to. It's yep. in our social life. It's ingrained in our culture. But tell me – so like I, I'm like trying to like wrap my head around yeah. this because like for me it was always like – Day one, this is day one without alcohol. And like getting one day under my belt was yeah. really, 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 really hard. Mm-hmm. And, and to like even imagine a world where I could just drink on like Fridays, but it yeah. would still wreck my my week and then opt out. So I, I think my question here is I, I'm, yeah. I'm like all over the place. That's but I think okay. my question is, is like, how did you put the pieces together? Like, like what Katie Bickle said, like mm-hmm. you just don't have to drink. How did you organize that in your thought process and like realize like, oh wait, I don't have to drink. I can just opt out of this. Right. What did that like look like in practice when you decided to officially be done? Yeah. I was really scared when she said that because I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I had been drinking regularly since, uh, I was 18. Let's just say Mm. maybe, you know, when I was pregnant, obviously I didn't drink, but like then maybe a month or two after I got my DUI, maybe I didn't drink. So like, otherwise it was at least every other week or at least every weekend, at least, you know, Mm -hmm. more when I was younger, but yeah, the biggest thing for me was, um, like socializing and social events. Mm -hmm. I was worried about like the bachelorette party that was coming up or the, um, you know, it was February when I quit. So I was worried about summer that was coming up and like all these things. And she just told me like, don't worry about those things. Just worry about today. So there is a part of Mm -hmm. that one day at a time, you know, where I was, you know, just getting through and it was, it was, it was easy. I want to say it was easy for me to get through the the regular days, right? So it was a Monday when I quit. It was easy for me to get through to Friday. And then it was like, okay, how am I going to not drink on Friday? Okay, well, we get all the alcohol out of the house. There wasn't any in the house. My husband, you know, I drank it all, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> my, husband, my husband doesn't drink. So I didn't have that like pressure, which was super mm-hmm. nice. Like that is something I'm very thankful for. And I know many people do not have that luxury of having a spouse or someone in their house that doesn't yeah. drink. 
So that made it really easy. I don't know. So I, you know, you say, oh, I'm never drinking again, like, right, when you're hungover. And I never really meant it, obviously. It was just a joke. Right. But um, I waited. And I have a hard time not telling my husband everything. We're best friends. So, like, it's just, like, mm-hmm. really hard. So I think I waited, like, a week to tell him mm-hmm. that I wasn't drinking anymore because I didn't I didn't think that he would believe me. And he, you know, he'll say yeah. now, too. He was like, okay, we'll see mm-hmm. it when it happens, you know. And I think I waited a little, I don't know how long, maybe a it had to have been less than a month. I would have probably seen my friends again, but um, hmm. I remember having two of my close friends over um, just to hang out or watch a movie. And I just kind of blurted it out. I was like, hmm. I'm not drinking anymore. Like really hmm. just super awkward. Like I quit drinking, hmm. <laughs> you know, like just to get it out, just to say it. Um, and they're like, okay. And at that point, I think I had bought a few books and I had, had looked you know, listen to some podcasts. And so I got a little bit of confidence, but it was those big things of like telling the people around me, going to the events, like those were hard, but I, but just the more of them I did, it got easier. You know, Hmm. it's just ripping the bandaid off, doing the thing. Once you go to one wedding, you kind of know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've also realized uh, after quitting that I am much more of an introvert than I thought I was. I mean, I Mm. used to be like the one dancing on the bars and doing all the things like yelling, like making friends with everybody, you know, like Mm -hmm. buying everybody drinks because you think that they're going to like you for that. But like, no, like now I want nothing to do with large groups of people. Like, don't come to my house unannounced. Like, (laughs) if you want to cancel our plans, that's fine. Like, I'm fine with that, you know? Yeah. So like... That's been a huge change, but it's also like, um, did I ever really like doing that? You know, I don't yeah. know who's to know because I've been doing it yeah. since I was 18. So yeah, I don't know, but it just made me more like out of my shell, but like, I don't oh, yeah. now I just like, don't, I don't care. I don't need to be out of my shell. Like, I don't want to, I like my shell, <laughs> my shell keeps me safe. <laughs> yeah. It's very comfortable. Yeah. In this shell. Hey, Zebra Stories crew, Beth here. While I moonlight as chief story steward here at Sober Stories, my main gig is actually using my therapy training, my decade in the mental health field, and my four and a half years of sobriety to teach other women how to change their relationship with alcohol. I just opened up an enrollment for my signature program, The Booze Breakup, built for the woman ready to ditch the nightly bottle of wine and build a sustainable whole person life without alcohol. It's a self-study program that comes with two months of access to my private community and group support calls, and I would love to connect with you over in that space. Use code SOBERSTORIES for $50 off the program at theboozebreakup.com. Rooting for you always, my friend. You know, I hear that experience a lot from people who are like, I quit drinking and I discovered I don't enjoy spending time with people. I quit drinking and I discovered I'm an introvert. I quit drinking, I discovered that like, I'm emotionally drained by spending time and energy in social yeah. settings or like also I've, I've, I've like I have a theory and I have no science to back this up, <laughs> but I, I think a lot of us are I'm, – I'm finding more people – are recognizing sensory sensitivity after they quit drinking. They're like, I didn't realize like noise or like Mm -hmm. a crowded room, like the audio visual sensory experience of that. Like we were just taking the edge off of that with alcohol. And then you realize on the other end of it that like, oh, that actually makes me feel really anxious or really drained or really exhausted. And, And so I think it's kind of a common experience to quit drinking and being like, Oh wait, I, I'm like so happy being on my couch. Like, please cancel yes. our plans. 
I'm going to stay in this shell. I think that's so interesting that you say about the sensory stuff, because I wonder, there has to be some science. We should look that up. There's, there has to be some science to that because I, I am very sensitive to sounds Mm -hmm. and noise and it has probably something to do with, we were numbing everything. Yeah. So we never really had those sensations before. Mm. And now that we're, we're almost feeling them for the first time. I know. Well, so I like, I, I truly have so many theories about this but yeah. because I think you and I, our generation, I've got a three and a six-year-old mm-hmm. and my three-year-old is sensitive to noise and we are exploring what that means for right. him to be able to show up the best in the world. And we have a lot different we have a lot of different language and different modalities and different mm-hmm. support for kids in yes. 2022 who experience sensory difficulties that i think weren't around when you and i were kids so i'm like charlie day with my map <laughs> yeah. and all the pins and all yes, my red yep. red lines everywhere exactly of like adults who probably should have been diagnosed with sensory disorder yeah. are like more prone to substance use, anxiety, or like, and like, then you have everything yeah. in there. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah, are you are you an oldest daughter too? Because that's I'm an also only, part of my I'm a kind of an only okay. daughter child. Well, I'm an only child between my parents. I have a, a okay. much older half siblings, but I grew up. Which, okay, which is another thing of mine mm-hmm. is like very mm-hmm. selfish, and I'm still mm. the thing is like I was very selfish when I was drinking, you know, mm. and I kind of always got what I wanted, but I still do yeah. that. Like I still. Mm. My husband will tell you, like, I still try to get whatever I want, but I'm selfish now with my time and like, Mm. I'm selfish, like with my comfort. And I think the comfort thing is like, so sensory related to like Mm. immediately when I get home, like I have to dress business casual at work, right? When I get Mm -hmm. walk in the door, I walk to my room and change into my sweatpants. Like I don't sit down. Mm. I, I take my makeup off. I take, put my hair up, like bra off. Yeah. Just like comfort, (laughs) comfort, comfort. And so, um, it's a, it's, I don't know if it's, I'm uncomfortable in certain clothes or what. I mean, I feel fine when I'm at work dressed up, whatever, but like I'm dressed up as like black pants and whatever sweater Mm -hmm. I can pull off, you know, the hanger, but, um, I'm not like wearing blazers and like, um, whatever, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's totally gotta be a thing. And we should probably look into that. I, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to exclude you from my eldest daughter study, okay, but I will include you in all of my other hypotheses. But I want to like revisit this idea of like being selfish with your time yeah, and your comfort, because I think one of the things that I have learned on the other side of quitting drinking is like, what makes me feel good mm-hmm. is valid. And what makes me feel good is worth prioritizing. Mm-hmm. Because I had spent so much of my life appeasing other people, making everybody else's comfort a priority, mm-hmm. saying yes to things I didn't want to do, and at the expense of my nervous system, at the expense of my body battery, my ability to get through the day without being totally burnt out. Mm-hmm. So I just want to like put a little yeah. like asterisk on that because I yep. don't think it's selfish. I think it is in preservation of your ability to yeah. stay alcohol-free yeah. or, or your verbiage of choice. Yeah. Good so selfish. I, it's good selfish. Good selfish. Yeah. It's good <laughs> selfish. Well we'll like yeah. trademark that. Good selfish. We're gonna we're gonna run with that. You know, I think it's interesting when you talk about being pregnant and that yeah. not being a difficult time not to drink. And I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. And every single person, every single woman who tells me this, they're like surprised by it. Like they're like the one and only time my entire life that it yeah. wasn't hard not to drink was the time that I was pregnant. And mm-hmm. my other theory for this is like there's something to be said about 
you deciding after talking to Katie Bickle that you were not going to drink anymore. Yeah. And there's something to be said about being pregnant and it's just not even on the table anymore. Like taking it off the table and yes. removing it from even being an option. I have found in, in my own experience and in the women I work with, like it's this idea of like never question the decision and QTD. This idea of like removing it from even being a possibility suddenly lifts this weight and makes it yes. suddenly just like a little bit easier to hold because it's just not even an option. It's not even on the table. So I'm, right. I'm like, I hear that often, this idea of I was pregnant and it wasn't a problem and I wonder what that was. But for me, it's like we take it off the table and I mm -hmm. think we can use that when we are working to to remove the substance from our life in other ways of just like, this is no, we're, we're going to like pretend like we're in nine months of pregnancy. We're going right, to remove this from, right. from the equation. It's not even part of the conversation. So, you know, I think one of the other things I hear from you is that like you didn't have a traditional rock bottom. And right. I think that's really important for people to hear, especially mm -hmm. because you had all of these other experiences right. and markers of what somebody might consider a rock bottom. So can you tell us a little bit more about what it was when your husband said like, mm -hmm. you can't drink with the baby alone that felt like the the linchpin to making this choice for yourself. Yeah. I don't know. Um I don't, you know, feel that it was I think it was like a mixture of things. I feel it like it was that him saying that. And then I feel like it was this cycle of, like I said, Friday and then two hangover days, physical, two emotional hangover days, um, a few mm. days of just fine. And then it's Friday again. And it's like this cycle that I was in while I had the baby, right? And in addition to reading that blog on that day, like mm. I, I honestly don't know if I didn't read that blog on that day that I would have quit mm. drinking that day. I don't know that I yeah. would have because I didn't have any access. I didn't look, I wasn't looking, searching for, you know, stories. I wasn't, I wasn't mm. sober curious ever, mm. you know, it was never in my brain to like maybe quit drinking. That wasn't mm. an option. It was just like, how can I keep drinking and hope for the best. <laughs> like, yeah. When every single time was the same thing. I never, I mean, of course there were times where like I drank and I passed out, nothing happened. Right. Like it wasn't like, you know, this whole thing every single mm. time, but it, I drank the same way. It was too much blacking mm. out, binge drinking, regret, whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I think something just clicked. Hmm. I don't know. That makes sense about like it, it had to be all three. It wasn't right. just one experience. It had, <laughs> had to be. Well, but but I think that that is the case for a lot of people. Yeah. There, the stars need to be aligned in a way that makes something click for your brain to be like, oh, we just opened a new door. Right. This is like a new pathway that we have the potential to walk through. Right. So – you quit drinking. You said, I'm, I'm not drinking. You talked to your friends at movie night and blurted this yeah. out, told your partner. He was like, yeah, okay. What kept you alcohol-free? What was it that you found on the other side of it that yeah. said, okay, this is the right choice? Well, what you said about um, the relationship or the, the comparison between being pregnant and uh, just deciding, I mean, that's mm -hmm. what it was. It was, I, in my brain turn some switch that it's not an option anymore. It has to mm -hmm. be none because I think I knew that I couldn't like try to moderate for a little bit. Like I just knew <laughs> that I couldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like I just yeah. knew that wasn't who I was. 
Um, so it's either you keep doing what you're doing or you quit entirely. Those are my two options. Hmm. Right. And so, yeah, it just had to be none. And so that's why, I mean, that's what I tell people too. I'm like, I just made it a non-option and I, and I just accepted hmm. acceptance, right. Accepting that mm-hmm. I can no longer drink alcohol if I want to like be any other way than what I've been dealing with, you know, hmm. but what was your question? I don't know what you said. I mean, like <laughs> what, what keeps you keep, sober oh, keep going, all these yeah. years later? Yeah. Um, the same thing. I just know that I, I mean, yeah. like my husband and I were talking not too long ago and we said, yeah, I could probably, I could probably drink today. You know, I could go down to the store and get alcohol any, any day of the week, any of us could go get it. It's right there. It's not like we have to go find an alcohol dealer on the street. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's easy yeah. to get, like it's at every store yeah. that I go to almost these days. Um, part of its thing. Yep. And so I just know that I can't, um, even if, mm. What I was saying, like my husband and I were talking, like I could go do that and I could drink and I yeah. might be okay for a little bit. Like I might be able to, mm-hmm. to have a few, but I would never want to like physically mm. outside of me. I could be drinking and have two beers and be done, but my brain would be like, oh, but I really want the rest of them. Yeah. I really want more. Yeah. And that's too much. That's too much for me. Yeah. I don't want to deal with that. Mm. You know what I mean? I had uh, Jill Teets of Sober Power yeah. on the podcast a couple couple weeks ago, and she had a quote that made me laugh, but was also very relatable. It was, <laughs> uh, true drinks will always be a waste of time for me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's totally. also how my brain is. Like, you don't see the two point. drinks is a waste of time. What are we doing here? What's the point? Mm-hmm. And and I, I think it you know goes back to that cliche of like, if you can't just have one, then have none. Yeah. Sometimes is the easier option. And when you say like that was too much already, that that thought of Mm -hmm. like I could have two and then Mm -hmm. I would be thinking about more, that's too much alone, I think is really powerful because that's precious, precious brain energy. Mm -hmm. Yes. As moms, like we already have diminished brain I'm not willing to give my brain energy to that. No. I've got too much else going on. Absolutely. You know, and I think that that's one of the the things – I don't know exactly like what my personal philosophy on moderation for Mm -hmm. the general public is. Hey, I haven't like formed a consensus on that. I know moderation is not an option for me. Right. But this idea of how much brain power we are wasting in the world, thinking about drinking, Mm -hmm. thinking about moderating our drink, thinking about are we drinking more than somebody else? Are we all the brain power we're wasting recovering from drinking? It's like, what could we accomplish <laughs> if, if we all just of these didn't people do that. just decided? <laughs> yeah, if we just didn't yeah. do that. And, you know, I think that talking about like, there's so many other things that I want to do with my time than mm-hmm. to waste my mental capacity on this. And, 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 and there's so many worthwhile experiences. And I, and I, were you a writer before you quit drinking? I was a writer as like a child, um, okay. as a youth. And I was, but we always go back to the thing we did, right? right. Before we stopped drinking. Um, and I was very creative when I was younger, making mm. videos and slideshows and all this stuff. And then I did none of that while I was drinking. It was just drinking. Yeah. Like I, I didn't, you could mm. have asked me like what my hobby was. And I would have been like hanging out with friends and drinking. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it wasn't, there mm-hmm. was no, there were no hobbies. I did. Um, the funny thing is I did um, apply to be a writer for this blog in my city while I was drinking. And um I didn't really have a good angle because I didn't have anything cool about myself, mm. you know, and then um, I didn't get in. And then after I quit drinking, it was about a year, not even a year and a half, well, about a year and a half, I suppose. 
that I had been alcohol free, I applied again. And then my angle was that I am an alcohol free mom. Like hmm. there's not that many of us out there willing to talk about it and things like that. So I got accepted then, you know, hmm. so like, it's like this kind of full circle thing. And I still, you know, write for that uh, Rochester mom it's called in my city hmm. now. So, well, and, and so that's what I'm thinking. Like, I think about all of that brain power now that you can divert mm-hmm. to writing and to sharing your storytelling and, and your words and to bring it full circle. You got published in Scary Mommy, right? I did. I did um, three years. It was right around the three-year mark of quit- quitting drinking that I I submitted a, a piece about um, how that Scary Mommy blog helped me change mm-hmm. my life and they accepted it. And uh, then it was like, the circle is now closed, (laughs) like full circle. The circle has been closed. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that is um, the moment that I realized like, oh, wow, I could do this writing thing and I could like Hmm. write in these big publications or whoever, Mm -hmm. you know? And so ever since then is when I started it up a little bit more. Um, Hmm. Yeah. And that's only been since 2020, 2020, maybe. No. Hmm. Yeah. What is time? Who knows? Well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but speaking of brain capacity. Yeah, right. And now, yeah, now we still have no brain capacity because we fill it with other yeah. things. It's not like, you know, we, we quit <laughs> drinking and now we have all this free space. Well, we do for a little bit. You have a, it's like a little yeah. bit of time you have this free space and it feels very freeing mm-hmm. is what I wanted to add to your, like, the not having to think about drinking, the not having to, like, think about how many I'm having, who's watching me, like, are they going to judge me? What's what's it going to be like tomorrow? Like that's just not having to do mm. that. It's just so freeing. There's so much so freeing. freedom in that, and it's something I'm just like so proud of too. Like let's talk mm. about how like big of a deal it is for us to just say like we're not going to drink in this society. We're like that's what you do, you know, yeah. and it's everywhere, and um, mm. and it's a huge deal. It's a huge <laughs> deal. Yeah. Amen. It's a huge deal. Title of the podcast is a huge deal. (laughs) You know, I just, I love when I see a woman who quits drinking and then starts to do something impactful in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think your writing is really impactful. Thank you. And the ripple effect that that has and the doors that it opens for other people Mm -hmm. is so powerful. And I, you know, one of the things that was hard for me when I first quit drinking is I never felt like I was powerless. Powerless felt mm-hmm. like verbiage that didn't fit and verbiage that didn't certainly didn't excite me. And yeah. I have decided uh, since then that I believe it's really powerful to I was gonna say that. Yeah, it's actually powerful. Yeah. To, yeah, to it's very powerful. decide that for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I love when I see a woman reclaim her power and mm-hmm. share that with the world. So I love your writing. Thank you. The last question I ask yeah. every podcast is if your story were to be written and it were to be made into a book, what would it be titled and what kind of story is it? Well, I have thought about this a little bit after knowing that that was <laughs> going to be asked. Yeah. I always say that like quitting drinking, it really for me was kind of like finding this, like the secret to my life, right? So something mm-hmm. like the secret to my life would be the title mm. of my book, The Secret to mm. Life or something like that. Because I really I really feel like it's this secret that like not everybody knows about. And mm-hmm. like, we're kind of lucky, you know, we are the luckiest as Laura McCollins mm-hmm. says. Yep. Um, I really believe that. Like the, the we're yeah. really lucky to, to be able to 
do the one thing, you know, we did this one mm. thing and it's changed our entire lives. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. And it'd probably just be me writing about things that happened in my life. That's what the book would be about, but. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree with you though. I think that this is the one thing that has given mm -hmm. me everything else yeah. in my life. Yeah. And it's this secret club. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I ever wanted to be a part of. Right. And it has changed literally everything, everything about my life. So everything. I love that. Yeah. I look forward to reading it because yeah. I know someday <laughs> we'll see you on the New York yeah. Times bestseller oh. list. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna we're gonna manifest that in okay. the world for you. <laughs> but Blair, thank you so much for your story today, for yeah. coming and sharing these candid experiences and giving a perspective that I think a lot of people are going to hear and realize oh, wait, I can just opt out. I don't have to keep on this hamster wheel, even though I'm not a daily drinker, even mm -hmm. though this isn't something that you know people in my life are telling me. I have the opportunity to right. just opt out. And I think that's really powerful. So thank you so much for your time today, Blair. Yeah, I know our people are going to want to find you. They're going to want to connect with you. How can they, what do, what do you got going in your world? Yeah. So um, I do have a website and that's kind of where I put all my um, like interviews and my writing, a lot of my writing there. And that's just blairsharp.com. And then on Instagram, it's sobriety activist is where I'm, I hang out the most. Um, I just started writing on medium last week, <laughs> actually. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you can find me there. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, and, and before we go, tell us what sobriety activist means to you. Yeah. I, I meant to ask that during the interview. So um, try to say this in a concise way, but um <laughs> Well, it all began with the um, the Tropicana uh, Mimosa campaign, uh -huh. uh, Take a Moment. Mm -hmm. They were promoting, you know, to parents that you can uh, hide in your closet and drink this orange juice and champagne. Yep. We'll give you this mini fridge, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so someone in an article somewhere after that whole thing got shut down said that they called the people, you know, us, this Instagram. This is before I had this account, but like sobriety activists is what they called us. The, the people Hell that yeah, were posting we were. about it and... And comment yep. and sharing and getting this, this campaign got taken down within like two days. Yeah. And so I read that article and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a sobriety activist. And I um, immediately like got the handle and like, was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, but like, you know, whatever I have it. And then I just started using it as a place to, to post about being alcohol free. Cause you know, I've had a personal Instagram. Nobody, nobody really wants to hear about that all the time. Like the, the regular, you know, everyday people in your life yeah. don't really care. But yeah, I mean, well, it surprised me because I did share it right away too with my whole, like my friends and family, right? And like immediately like 60 people started following me that like were in my real life. So that, that tells you a little something, mm. but yeah, so that's what, that's what it is. And it's kind of evolved since. And now it's just post every day about just about, and, uh, just fun, funny and supportive things. So yeah. I love that. I love that origin story. Cause yeah. I, I do remember mm -hmm. the Tropicana gate and yeah. <laughs> all of the things that came with that. Yeah. Man, we could do like a whole different podcast. I know. About maybe I'll, maybe I'll get Gabrielle Union oh, yeah. on the podcast to Molly get her Sims. side of it. And yeah, Molly Sims. Yeah. We can, we can have like a round table <laughs> and be like, all right, babes, let's talk about <laughs> how this went down. Right. Yeah. But Blair, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us on the podcast and sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Sober Stories with me, Beth Bowen, and our guest, Blair Sharp. 
I really think she and I are onto something with this whole new psych theory that we're going to come out with about people with sensory sensitivity and those of us who find ourselves using alcohol to numb out. I don't know. We'll see. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you took a second to rate and review Sober Stories wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us tell more stories, reach more people, change more lives, one good review at a time. And if you had a big aha moment from today's show, we'd love it if you shared it with us on social media. You can find us at We Are Sober Stories on most platforms. Tag us so we can hear your big takeaways and you never know when we'll send a little thank you. I also want to thank our team here at Sober Stories, Alexis Archuleta on the mixing and podcast genius side, Callie Williams is our community engagement lead, Daniela Marty for our graphic design, and every single person who has a hand in what we are building. Until next week, my friends.